Welcome to a new episode of the Electric Podcast. I am Fred Lambert, your host. And as usual, I'm joined by Seth Wintraub coming us live from Paris. How is Paris tonight, uh, Seth? Paris is great. Uh, yes. I'm on a layover between uh, two different events. One was the Volvo EX30. And the second one is a Porsche uh, doubleheader. Yeah, doubleheader in Europe for Seth. So he's going to have a lot more to say about this in future episodes because... Uh, uh, everything that's happening behind the wheel, we cannot discuss right now, but uh, soon enough, this is going to be on Electric and obviously on the Electric podcast, so stay tuned for that. But we have a big episode to get to this week, um, obviously it was the Tesla earnings, uh, and a lot came out of that as usual, so it's going to be a Tesla-heavy show, as it usually is. Um, but a few other interesting things too that we'll get into later on on the show. And at the end, if we have enough time, which we should, uh, we're going to try to take a few of your questions. So if you guys have any questions, any subject in the EV space that you want us to get into tonight, uh, you just put it in the comment section and we'll get to it. Also, if you are a fan of the show, uh, you can help out very quickly by just pressing the like button, pressing the share button, wherever it is on your app you're on right now, a thumbs up. All interaction helps the show and then you're free to do take a second. And if you're listening to your podcast app right now, if you give us a five-star review, that is a tremendous help. And we appreciate every single one of you that does it. All right, let's get right into it. We'll get first into uh, a little bit of Tesla Cybertruck updates, some from the earnings, some from not the earnings. The biggest one from the earnings obviously being the uh, uh, the, the announcement that uh, the Tesla Cybertruck delivery event is going to, uh, is going to happen on November 30th. Uh, so that's next month coming in pretty soon. It's a little bit later than the official timeline that was uh, end of Q3. But um, we're not exactly surprised that Tesla slipped that. And, uh, it's still happening by the end of the year. So that's a good news. The other thing that was in the earnings that was interesting was... Uh, um, this thing here so the, this chart is familiar to you if you read this this presentation every quarter it's the current install annual vehicle capacity it was updated for the cyber truck to a capacity of over 125,000 units which is interesting um mm. again this is not this is the current install annual vehicle capacity so the the name is like it leaves room to try to understand what it is. <laughs> uh, so, install capacity make it sound like it's the install right now. Like if you you can just feed it your supply and uh, you, you you get that number out of it. But we knew that it was always a little bit lax in terms of. Uh, what the numbers are, uh, like almost a million at Gigafactory Shanghai, which is obviously the, the biggest, most producing factory out there. But uh, we've never seen like a consistent million units rate out of them. Uh, 100,000 model S and X, like, okay, that's that's the probably the clearer example. Like Tesla is obviously not producing 100,000 model S and X a year these days and it hasn't for a while. So 125,000 is weird. And then we got a lot more details about that uh, in the conference call that follow uh, the earnings. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to uh, touch base on something that was just uh, unveiled today that uh, is very interesting. Is the VIN decoder was updated to have Cybertruck's configuration in there. And uh, that is some more concrete information, some more details about the electric pickup truck. Because even though Tesla is starting deliveries next month, it still hasn't released the official production specs and pricing. We assume that Tesla is getting around that by 
only delivering to um, employees at that time, so they don't have to officially announce anything in terms of pricing and, and specs, and they will do so at the event. But in the meantime, this new decoder here um, reveals two configuration for the Cybertruck, a dual motor and a triple motor. Uh, the dual motor is referenced as standard, and the triple motor, which is the E, uh, is performance. So when Tesla first unveiled a Cybertruck, there was a single motor, dual motor, and triple motor. There's been rumors that that has changed since. The people have talked about the quad motor that Elon referenced at some point. Um, now we don't have a quad motor and we don't have a single motor. That doesn't mean that either of those are never happening. It just means that probably Tesla is going to start with a dual motor and a triple motor version. We've seen from stickers on the uh, release candidates in the wilds, in the spotted in the wild, that um, at least some of the prototypes that Tesla has been testing out there are dual motors. So that is another indication, obviously. Then we have the uh, gross vehicle weight rating, which is not the actual curb weight of the vehicle. It's the curb weight plus the cargo capacity, including passengers. Uh, so this is 3,629 kilograms to 4,082 kilograms, which is between 8 and 9,000 pounds for one version. And then you have another version at 4,082 kilograms to 4,536 kilograms, um, 9,000 to 10,000. So not exactly sure what configuration goes in there, why there's such a wide range. I assume like there's accessories involved or maybe... Do you think it's just like, motor or do you think there's going to be a different battery? Uh, I mean, uh, that weight difference, like going from a range of 3,600 uh, kilograms to 4,500 kilograms, I would assume that there's a big battery difference in there. Um, but that's a good point because they like, we have the dual motor and the triple motor version. Uh, so that's no reference to batteries. So maybe Tesla has only one batteries for these two models or two battery, a long range and a, a standard range. It's not clear, but from the weight difference or gross vehicle weight difference, it would seem that the batteries would need to be involved in that, uh, two battery range. I mean. Um, yeah, com for, so, so if we compare the gross vehicle, um, the gross weight vehicle rating, gross vehicle rating, okay, I made the typo here. Um, with the F-150 Lightning, uh, the range of the Lightning is between 3,742 and 3,878 um, kilograms. So the Cybertruck is going to be heavier and or has a bigger load capacity on the higher range than the Lightning because at the lower range is actually uh, low, lighter. So the base, basically the base Cybertruck should be lighter than the base Lightning, but the Cybertruck could go heavier than the Lightning, which could hint at Tesla having a wider range of battery option, like some smaller battery and some bigger batteries, which is not, it's quite typical to Tesla. Tesla is good at achieving a high efficiency I know there's some controversy around like the EPA ratings and all that, but still, in general, high efficiency with smaller batteries than other automakers has achieved in the past. Also, a little bit less conservative in terms of range than other automakers, to be fair. All right, so we had all that. So today, then some of the information coming from the earnings. But then after the earnings, there was the conference call that followed which we're going to get into because it was a bit of a weird one, uh, disastrous one that I called. And it started out with Elon 
trying to temper expectation with the Cybertruck. And he did his usual speech about production is a thousand times harder than uh, prototypes, which we, uh, at this point we've heard that speech a hundred times. Um, so, times. yeah, so, so when you hear it, they're like, all right, does it really mean anything now that you're talking about a Cybertruck? It actually kind of meant something in, in this case. It was just him repeating the, the speech. It felt like he was very emphasizing on like, hey, this is going to be a hard one, guys. So um, he even said at some point, uh, we dug our own grave with the Cybertruck in terms of like the complexity to bring to production. He emphasized like we cannot copy other manufacturing methods for the Cybertruck that like everyone does in the auto industry. You just copy someone else's manufacturing methods. Uh, you have, in this case, have to invent new manufacturing methods because of how different the Cybertruck is. By that, it means this is the first uh, vehicle with the stainless steel um, body since the uh, DMC DeLorean. So it is a big step. So he said, I just want to emphasize that one, I think that this is potentially our best product ever. And I think it is our best product ever, but it is going to require immense work to reach volume production and uh, be cash flow positive at a price that people can afford. That one is important right here. So I just want to temper expectation for a Cybertruck. He said that, but then he also said that he believes that it's going to take about 18 months for Tesla to reach volume production, which he, he puts at 5,000 units a week, 250,000 uh, Cybertrucks per year. So he says, if you start like next month, 18 months, that puts you to, uh, through uh, early 2025, basically, which is not that bad. I mean, I think, I think no. like, yeah. A lot why, of why is that even stressful? Like you wouldn't expect a Cybertruck to be profitable in the first six months or even a year? Certainly not profitable. Like volume, I don't like, I I think the volume part is what got people because I, I got this whole thing and I'm like, all right, this is what we expected. Like what the more reasonable people that are watching this expected. I, I, I did get a sense that some Tesla investors were kind of hopeful that something would actually be better with, with a Cybertruck, like it would actually go faster because it was designed to be manufacturing easy and all that. But even though that is Tesla's motto as of the last few years to design for manufacturing, the Cybertruck kind of negates that with maybe maybe that was still the motto, but they also had to invent new manufacturing technique for it. So like it kind of uh, cancel each other's out on, on that front. So yeah, I think 25, uh, 18 months, 2025, 250,000 trucks is all like very good. But again, to be cash flow positive at the price that people can afford, that's the other big one. So don't expect the forty to fifty thousand dollar cyber truck anytime soon. Uh, I would now clearly put it after twenty twenty five. I think that's pretty clear, uh, or around twenty twenty five, maybe later half of twenty twenty five. Though at the same time, can Tesla sell two hundred fifty thousand cyber trucks a year if it doesn't have a base version around fifty fifty thousand? I don't know. That might be a little bit difficult. But on the higher end of things, the good news is like it's very unlikely that Tesla is going to go. <clears throat> sorry, I'm losing my voice. Going to go over eighty thousand dollars because of the uh, tax credit in the U.S. being only advantageous up to that point. So that would make sense too. Um, was there anything else on that front? No, that was that was pretty much it on what he said on about the Cybertruck. Um, all right, let's jump into the earnings itself before we go to the other stuff, uh, just uh, for people that like these numbers. We do like to discuss Tesla's uh, financial results because they are the 
one of the rare now. There's not the only one now. Uh, thanks to Rivian, Lucid, Fisker, and Ford. Two big congrats to Ford to splitting their gasoline vehicle business with their EV business and giving everyone a look into the EV business so that we can see what their future is going to look like. <laughs> not great right yeah. now, but at least they are being transparent about it. Um, so we get an idea of what it is to be an all-electric vehicle automaker, which is not Tesla's only business, I know, but it is what is driving the business by a wide margin. So the expectation this quarter was $24.25 billion, um, uh, $0.73 cents per share non-GAAP earnings, and Tesla delivered $0.66 sh- uh, cents per share, so it didn't meet expectation on the earnings. And uh, it, it missed uh, revenue pretty big at 23.35 billion rather than uh, 24.25. So significant miss. Now, what was interesting with this is that if you were watching the stock price at the same time as these were coming out, uh, the stock price didn't take a big hit from Tesla having a miss here. Not a big miss, but uh, big enough. And st- Tesla sometimes crash even if it meets expectations. So that was a bit surprising. I assume that the Cybertruck announcement kind of countered this whole thing, like because Elon had not uh, at the conference call where he, he tempered expectation and all that. Yet yeah, it was just it was hey, we finally have our delivery event date. We have even like this 125,000 units figured. I was again careful with that. So a lot of enthusiasm around that. Um, now, what happened after is the conference call happened, and then Tesla stock started going down, down, down during the conference call. And then, obviously, when markets opened the next day, uh, 10% down, which is uh, huge for a company the size of Tesla. Like we, Tesla has uh, is known to be a volatile stock, but still, like 10% in a day is is massive. Like you're, you're talking about tens and tens of billions of dollars uh, being wiped out. It's 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 huge. So. So yeah, I called it. Uh, I call it the Tesla tumbles of a disastrous Elon Musk conference call. Why? Why did I call it disastrous? Is it too much? I don't know. There was a lot of points that I, I thought were just not a good look for Tesla. I mean, first of all, the call starts and Elon is muted while giving his opening statement. Um, so we don't hear anything of like the first half of his old. St- I assume the first half because normally, like I don't know, like, his statement lasts. Either, either long, and it, it felt like it was a lot shorter this time. Um, but the craziest part is not even that he was muted, is that Tesla unmuted him mid-talk, so mid-sentence. mid-sentence, and he just kept going, like nothing happened, as if no one told him, hey, Elon, uh, no one heard what you, everything you just said right, right now. He didn't go back and did, and did it again. It happened again in the, half, uh, in the middle of the call, and again, it, just, it was like nothing happened. No one told him. Which leads and it's to not believe. it's not on the re- the YouTube or anything either. Oh like yeah, the, if you go on YouTube, it's, yeah, it's yeah, I assume he was completely muted, so like he they, they couldn't really do it. Um, but yeah, so that means that Tesla like pressed the button and like oh, oh Elon is muted, they unmuted him. Like no one was like willing to like go to him and like hey Elon, sorry, we messed up and uh, no one heard what you just said, which we assume is important stuff that you need to communicate to your shareholders in the shareholder earning calls. Uh, but no, no one did that, which is scary to hell. I mean, because, I mean, we've discussed this in the past before. It is a concern that we had for a while now that we believe that Elon is surrounded by um, yes men in 
for, uh, <clears throat> for the most part. I'm sure that's not, I'm not generalizing. I don't want to generalize too much. I'm sure there's some people that are willing to stand up to him. I would hope so. But for the most part, it looks like there's a lot of yes men around him that are not uh, willing to deliver bad, bad news to him. And that was, if you read the book, uh, the recent biography by um, Walter Isaacson, he mentions that several times in it. So that also amplified my concern on that front. And this example looks like another one of the, another example on that side of things. So it, it, it is a problem when, the C, when people are not willing to tell the CEO what's going on for real. Uh, the CEO needs to have an accurate picture of what's happening. Uh, I know that it sounds like pity or like, oh, it's just happening in, on the conference call. But if that's happening there, it's happening other places. And this one is just one that we could notice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not it's not great. Uh, that was not the only thing that I didn't like about the call, though, obviously. Um, at some point, for example, he he's asked a great question that I was looking forward because I saw on the say.com where you upvote the question that they're going to ask. I saw that it was up there. So I was very happy. Like that's a good question an investor should ask. It was when do Tesla plans, if and when Tesla plans to take legal liability for the FSD beta or for the FSD period, I guess. Which is a very and they, they use Mercedes. They, level they preface three. it with yeah, yeah, Mercedes. exactly. Um, and that's I think that's a very good question because that's the only step, only practical step that turns the uh, uh, an FSD system or any kind of autonomous driving system into a practical one, where you can actually say okay, this this is not just a driver assist system anymore. It is actually a self-driving vehicle because we the self-driving system take responsibility for it for in the case of mercedes of course it's limited period of time but still useful tesla hopes to have a wider range of opportunity to activate it but so anyway that was the question and the answer was uh, <laughs> people already think that we have liability uh, apparently because they're suing us. <laughs> like, okay, like that's not an answer to the question. Uh, and to, then, he, then he went on a little rant about like, oh, Tesla, we're having a completely different approach than these uh, Mercedes-Benz and all that, which, I, okay, you, you do. that. I understand that. You have a different approach, but you're still going to have to get to that step at some point even with your approach, otherwise you don't deliver on your promise of RoboTaxi because uh, RoboTaxi, the robot has the responsibility in, or in the case, manufacturer of that robot, which is Tesla. So then he went on this rant, like or, or it's different than Mercedes because we have uh, now achieved baby AGI, which is... Really, which is, really BS. Yeah, I mean, Elon's uh, use of the word AGI is uh, kind of all over the place. Um, anyway, so him like skating around a question like that, it makes it, it makes it look like they have never even thought about this step. That's what it makes it makes us feel like. And that's extremely worrying as a, as someone that has an FSD package vehicle. I'm like, this is the most important step in your promise of delivering a self-driving vehicle. Like you have to take responsibility at some point and you haven't even thought about that. It sounds like it is extremely worrying. Or if they have thought about it, they have not made a good job to answering that question. At least we can agree on that. Um, so there was a bunch of moments like that. I mean, most of the talk, most of the conference call was 
him complaining about macroeconomics and more specifically the interest rates, which I'm the first to agree that it has a massive impact on Tesla's business right now. It has a massive impact on anyone's business right now. It has a massive impact on, on, on my uh, car purchasing uh, myself. Like I would be in the market right now for a new car. I mean, 2018, my, my Tesla is, is getting older and all that. I would be willing to upgrade at this point, but I, I need to be willing to shit out $50,000 out of my pocket or give uh, uh, several thousands of dollars to a bank, which in interest rate, which I'm not willing to do. So yeah, it, I see how it can affect a lot of people and Tesla. However, it's completely out of Tesla's power. So it, and it's very frustrating when you spend have the call complaining about something that's completely out of the company's power. And then when you're asked a question about something that is within the company's power, you just skate around it. Like that's just not a great look, in my opinion. Did you did you feel that, Seth? Uh, yeah, I mean, but you know, this isn't the first time that it's kind of gone this way. I was surprised it dropped 10%. I, I know initially it was up at before the actual conference call. So you know, in real money, it, it probably dropped, you know, 11 or 12%. Yeah, I mean, it dropped today too, I think. Yeah, it up another 3.6% today. So, like, that's two big days down. Like, it almost, like, getting below 200 soon. So, it's a big deal. Like, it, but the thing with Elon, like, you know, Elon likes, when, when the stock goes crazy up, he goes right away, like, he, Fuck you, the short Tesla shorts. Fuck you, <laughs> like you're you're getting destroyed. But then when the stock gets slashed like that, he tells Tesla employees, "Oh, don't worry about it. Don't think about the stock price and all that. Like, don't don't worry about that." That's not a healthy behavior. It should be more of like, "All right, the stock went down like crazy. It's a message from shareholders. Like, what just what happened? Like, it's not it's not the way that uh, we we see we see fit." So. Uh, but he doesn't seem to get that message. He doesn't. He doesn't care about that stuff. I mean, it, it goes back to his famous comment. Uh, don't remember when it was, but I remember it was with the um, CNBC was interviewing at, at some point, and he says like, "You don't. You don't care when you say something on X, and it just crashes your stock, and you you, you lose a lot of money or on paper and all that." And he's like, "I don't care. I don't. I don't care." Like he doesn't care, but. All these investors, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not. It's just not a good look. Uh, the, uh, to be fair, there was another thing that maybe. Um, I mean, it's related to his comments about the macroeconomics, also, but might have affected the stock negatively from the earnings or from the earnings call at least. He was asked about Gigafactory Mexico and the timeline on that, and he basically announced that Tesla is pumping the brakes on Gigafactory Mexico. To be clear, he made it. He, I'm not. Don't want to put any misinformation out there. He made it clear that they still plan to do the factory. It's the timing that is not as clear anymore. Previously, the timing was like, we're going to do this super fast. It's going to be a, a Shanghai 2.0 and all that. Now it's like, we've ordered everything that has a long lead time now. And we're working on the construction side and all that. But we don't know when this is going to happen because I'm worried. I'm speaking for Elon here. I'm worried about the microeconomics and where it's going and everything. And then also then uh, Drew uh, chipped in and was like, we also have plenty of room at Gigafactory Texas, which plays into what we reported last month where we heard that the next generation vehicles are actually 
going to be built first in Texas before being built in Mexico, which was the original announcement here, like manufacturing next-gen vehicle. That's what Tesla said when they announced Gigafactory Factory in Mexico. It was like, this is where we're going to build our next-gen next EVs. Now, everything points to Tesla slowing down, pumping the brakes on Gigafactory Mexico. Still happening, but probably later. Uh, focus on Gigafactory Texas and building the new uh, robo-taxi and cheaper vehicle there. So we're going to keep an eye on that, see when Tesla actually gets the foot off the brakes for Gigafactory Mexico. One of the silver lining of the earnings was the energy storage business, which is still booming like crazy, thanks to the big ramp up in Gigafactory, uh, Mega, Mega Factory uh, in Latrop, California. 90% year over year uh, in, in increase in energy storage deployment at now 4 gigawatt hour a year. Uh, which is great. It's a good 16 gigawatt hour of annual capacity, uh, which is still less than half of what Lightrop is supposed to be able to, to produce. But they did say that uh, they, there's two phases to it. And uh, the first phase has been ramped up, and now they're moving on to the second phase, which is going to be the one that uh, enabled the 40 gigawatt hour capacity. Uh, so that is great news. Obviously, some power walls in there too, but at this point, we, we believe that Megapack is responsible for the vast majority of energy storage deployment. You see this chart here. It's obviously big growth in the business. And interestingly, also Tesla said that it's contributing now to profits. Um, which yeah, before... and I think he said some. I think he said something to the tune of um, there's bigger margins on energy products than there are on cars now. Yeah, which had been like a big question that people had for a while. Like, all right, this is this is great. This is increasing like crazy. But what are going to be the margin on this? And Tesla always said that they hope that eventually it's as big as the cars. Obviously, they said that when Tesla had like 25% gross margin on cars. Now Tesla right. has like 18% gross margin. Um, so that might be why now it has equal or surpassed the, the car because the cars went down and this went up. Uh, but th this chart here is not the energy storage profit, by the way. It's the service and others, which and one of the things, again, is that like, I've been complaining a lot about Tesla not being transparent lately, that this is another example. Like Some of Tesla's business are becoming big enough that Tesla should break this down, these down separately from their vehicle business and their service business. Tesla's service business itself is probably going to be getting pretty big right now with a fleet of like 4 million vehicles. Um, this is a multi-billion dollar business a year. So it would be nice to break that down uh, separately from the energy storage business, which is clearly also becoming a multi-billion dollar business a year. And uh, then, yeah, I've also the supercharger business. Now the paid supercharger, Tesla said that it's becoming profitable, which is, which is great too. Uh, it would be nice to see the actual economics behind that. And if, because if Tesla is producing profitable um, uh, profits from, from that super, supercharger business, it would be a great example for all these other charging station operators that are not being successful, profitable right now. Uh, if, if you look at the stock price of companies like ChargePoint, EVgo, and all that, they, they are crashing like crazy. Uh, they haven't been able to prove profitability yet. So that would be a great example to set there. Uh, yeah, uh, the other thing is obviously the solar business is down year to year, 49.9 megawatt. Uh, that is in line with what we've been reporting at Electric over the last few months, that Tesla has been making a switch to a third party, uh, relying more on third party deployment and relying more on, they want to own the brain behind the solar project rather than the solar panels and deploying themselves, the, the, 
the solar project. So the new solar inverter is being deployed instead. The power wall and the gateway and all that is also brains that uh, can be useful for Tesla from the Tesla electric and virtual PowerPoint uh, standpoint, which we think going to be a huge business for Tesla eventually. All right. What else? What else? Oh, yeah. Today we learned of... Uh, a new, a new domain lever that Tesla is, is pushing, and a weird one is this one went the other way now. Tesla is allowing people that have free supercharging for life, unlimited supercharging for the life of the car on older Model S and X, to transfer that supercharging to a new car, either a Model S, a Model X, or even a Model Y now. So this is a, a 180 from what Tesla was doing earlier this year, which was trying to bring back in inventory all those cars that has free supercharging to remove the free supercharging. And uh, they, they gave incentive for people to exchange for upgrade to a new car, like $5,000 cash for that, that, that free supercharging, which values the free supercharging pretty high. And um, then they even gave like six years of free supercharging on your new car if you gave up your unlimited and get the cash on top of it. So like big incentive. Now they're like, all right, is this a good, a good sign that they have some demand issues? Is like, all right, now you can upgrade and you, you keep your free supercharging on your new car. So complete 180. But I, I understand why. I mean, I would assume that there's still a few hundred thousand people that might have cars with free supercharging. That, that's going to be around the world, though not just in the U.S., obviously. And um, and the reason that they are holding on to that car and not upgrading, because no, normally, like the, I don't, I'm, I'm generalizing it, because every time I say that, I get emails from people, oh, I keep my car 20 years, whatever. Most people that buy luxury vehicles um, upgrade their cars more frequently than a lower end of the market. It's just that's how, that how it works normally. Um, but you see a lot of people with $100,000 more S and X that are still driving 10 years old car at this point, uh, eight, seven, seven, and up to 10 years old cars because they have this free supercharging. And so Tesla wanted to keep those, get, get those off the road because I would have to assume that if you look at the data from the free supercharger fleet, it's probably only like a 10, 15% of them that actually are costing Tesla a lot of money in terms of super, super free supercharging. Because free supercharging for the average EV owner like myself, it's a few hundred dollars a year that you're getting as, a, as an incentive, as a, a surplus, because you're not using the supercharger network that much. If you're a power user of the supercharger network, well, that, that can be your whole charging for the, the year. It can be thousands of dollars worth, which is why Tesla was offering $5,000 per it, because they know that it can be worth that for, for those EV users. And now probably that after making all those attempts to get those car backs, Tesla still finds that there's a, a core group of people that are, are not um, are not wanting to upgrade, to give up those free supercharging. And this is an opportunity to get them to at least upgrade their cars and still get free supercharging. And I would assume, obviously, this, this deal was still put together. I haven't seen the contract for it. But if you, I would bet my life on this, that if you look at the contract... Uh, there's going to be some kind of restriction on your new free supercharger for life. So probably like you cannot sell the car with that free supercharging, things like that, that would like reduce the value a lot of it and enable Tesla to finally like have an end to the program at some point. Anything to add on this set? 
Uh, I wish they did it retroactively so I could go uh, go find my old uh, free supercharging Model S and. Well, that, that's that. one that Tesla got back, right? They, they they have it back now, right? Yeah, they have it back. Uh, Fred, Fred and I have been talking over the last couple of weeks. Uh, the guy I sold my Model S to um, had a drive controller issue, and uh, it's kind of a rare model Model S. It's got the third row. It was originally uh, a Model S forty. Uh, but they switched it to a Model S 60 and software locked it. This was way back in 2013. Uh, but it had super free supercharging for life, like all Teslas did back then. And I was like, you should sell it to an Uber driver. Uber driver, like in New York City, would pay a ton of money for it because it's got a third row. It's great for, you know, big, big rides, uh, unlimited supercharging. And, you know, just driving around the city, you don't have to go that fast, whatever. It's not going to do too much damage to the car, but the drive controller issue, uh, you know, you need to fix that before it becomes viable. Yeah. It's just too expensive to fix. And, and uh, it's a great idea, the taxi thing, but I would assume that uh, I, I a lot of those taxi regulation have uh, like limitation on like cars that become 10 years old. Like normally like they, they don't accept that. So I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if that's an issue. Even the car works great. You're still like 10 years old. Yeah, we need a new one, whatever. It's a weird, yeah. it's a weird one. All right, in our, our weekly Nax update, the Toyota jumped on board this week. They announced a deal with Tesla to adopt Nax and uh, have the supercharger access. Um, obviously, this is all the dominoes falling. We had the very tail hand of it. I think now it's just um, it's, it's just Volkswagen and the major automakers. I think other than that, everything everyone was as announced. I think. Yeah, there's small ones like Mazda. I don't think that ever announced, but yeah, well, I mean, don't have EVs either. Um, right. Not that Toyota has a big fleet either, but uh, interestingly, so like for the most part, every one of those announcements have been the same. Like I'm sure Tesla like just copies the contract and like change the name Hyundai from Toyota and things like that. But there's a little change, you know. Be, before it was okay. Our new EVs that are going to be launched in North America are going to have Nax as the standard plug starting in 2025 and then starting in 2024 we're gonna make an adapter available to our existing ev owners um to get access to the supercharger network in this case 2025 for the adoption and 2025 for the adapter too so the adapter coming coming about a year later from from toyota not sure why i would assume uh maybe because they are late to getting on board like uh the tesla assumed that there's going to be some kind of bottlenecks on these adapters at some point um but we just discussed earlier today, so then I, you can get those on the third parties anyway. But I don't, I'm sure some, some of the automakers are going to make some deals to make them free or AV discounted or something like that because just it's going to be a big difference if you have access to a supercharger or not. Like it's, it's, there's a lot of value in that. Yeah. Um, so either it's that or it's there is Toyota doesn't care about whether it's 2024, 2025, because they don't expect to have a significant fleet of electric vehicles in those years. Uh, that's also a possibility, uh, knowing, knowing Toyota's history in, EV, in the EV space. All right, moving on from Tesla. Big announcement this week. I'm going to let Seth take it from here. All right, Electrek has signed a five-year title sponsorship deal with the IEF for Formula Sun Grand Prix and American Solar Challenge. So this year we did, for the first time, uh, we sponsored the uh, Formula Sun Grand Prix. Uh, it was in Kansas. Um, it was a ton of fun. We got to meet a ton of college kids. 
um, and some mentors and some uh, industry people. Tesla was there. Blue Origin was there. A bunch of uh, software makers were there. Great experience. Good time. Um, you know, we think we can do a lot of good work with this uh, organization. Uh, we're going to make solar racing a lot more fun. Maybe we'll get some tele televised, uh, you know, live televised uh, action. Maybe we can get some deals going with other racing leagues. Maybe the NCAA gets involved. We've got lots of ideas. Um, I think this could be a lot of fun. So uh, we signed a five-year agreement. Uh, the terms of the deal aren't disclosed, but, um, you know, it's going to get, it's going to get the IEF a lot of money to kind of expand the program. It's going to allow us to kind of uh, piggyback on some of those uh, relationships that we, uh, you know, foster for these things. And probably most importantly of all, like we're getting these, you know, the next generation of engineers, the next generation of car people, solar people, we're getting them, uh, you know, we're helping them along the way. So I think a it's a win case, for right? everybody. Giving them a bigger showcase, basically. A big showcase. Yep. Yeah, okay. So I think it's good for everybody and, and we're really excited about it. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a big opportunity for like, obviously we're giving them money directly for, for, for that, for the exposure, but also we're probably going to bring them indirectly some money by Electric trying to put more eyes on this very cool challenge, this very cool competition that they have. And we hope that other companies also jump on board and, and contribute to, to these events that are hopefully going to get bigger every year of those five years that uh, Electric is going to be partnering with them. So if you, you guys uh, want to help out, you can reach out to, in, in, you can go to the, the post in that uh, on Electric in the show notes right now. And uh, there's uh, you, you posted the emails in there, I think you said, right? Yep. Yeah. I saw you put uh, a few ways to contact people, or at least, yeah, links. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a link to get in touch right here. But that's, that's a direct email to, uh, to Jordan. Yep. <laughs> All right. I wasn't sure. All right. Uh, moving on, we have... Uh, First image of the Volvo EM90. So it's a nice little electric minivan coming from Volvo, which is uh, going all electric uh, pretty fast, uh, faster than most other um, legacy automakers. And uh, this is uh, going to China first, but I think they already confirmed plans that it's going uh, to Europe. And I'm not sure about North America, but... So uh, I actually got to talk to Volvo this oh, week yeah, about right. that. And... Uh, they said they have no current plans to bring it to the U.S. or North American market, which mm. is kind of a big bummer. Um, and I, you know, I, I think the European part is even a few years out. Um, yeah. They are they're going to have an announcement, um, I believe, in December uh, in China um, for this rollout. It's built on a uh, Zeker thing, just like mm -hmm. um, the EX30. Uh, it looks amazing. It's like one of those things where, like, why not just try that in the U.S.? Like, I think it would do really well. But you know what? I think I'm seeing, like, because it's not the first, like, Volvo Zeker car that's been released in in, uh, in China. So I think maybe everything that Zeker is not being exported everywhere else. It might be, like, a relegation-based issue because, obviously, Volvo makes cars in China that they ship to North America. So it's not... Right. That's not the issue itself, but maybe it's the the ones that are based on Zeker that might have. Uh, this is this is the Zeker, by the way. So yeah, you can see the the resemblance. 
But yeah, I mean, this is the uh, segment of the market that is under serve in the EV space, the minivan version, the minivan segment. Yep. We got this week, we got the EV6, the Kia EV6 pricing for the 2024 model year. That is hitting the, the dealership pretty soon. And it includes a new trim, a new light trim starting at the cheaper price. So let's go right in. That's what you guys want to see is this chart right there. It's this chart. So the new uh, light version is available. And I, I love Kia and Hyundai for that, where they make like you can mix match your batteries and your powertrain. It's so great. So you have the light rear-wheel drive, you have the long-range rear-wheel drive, and you have the long-range uh, all-wheel drive. And then you have the same thing for the wind version, and then you have the GT version, obviously. Um, but the small battery pack is only available for the rear-wheel drive. So that's new, though. No? That's new. And uh, that starts at only $42,600. Uh, you get 232 miles of range, but I would assume that this is a pretty like serious 232 miles of range in terms of EP. Like it's something that you should be able to to get. Um, then you have the longest range with the 310. It's the, this is a long range with a rear-wheel drive uh, unit. Uh, you can get it also in the wind version. You get 310, and even the GT version gets the same. That's a little bit surprising. Yeah, it's also oh, surprising it's that the, the same the light, power. The light rear wheel drive gets more miles on 58 kilowatt hour battery than the GT gets with a 77 kilowatt hour battery. So that's a super inefficient. Uh, GT is still super inefficient. And, and also Kia told us that, uh, that they were going to make the GT way more efficient this year. And, and it was because of they, they basically... Uh, didn't make a uh, version of the GT that was, you know, had efficient tires or whatever. Yeah. But this still looks but pretty that's inefficient. But that's going to be the GT line on rear-wheel drive and the rear-wheel drive. Like, they, they are pretty efficient at 310 and 252. Yeah, I mean, relatively. But yeah. my understanding was the GT was actually going to get more efficient. And at 218 miles, that doesn't appear to be the case. Well, I think it's because of the way they name it. Like, just because if they say the GT, they mean like the GT, like the one with the the full sport package on it. But like they call the GT line and rear-wheel drive and GT line all wheel drive. So they could mean any any of these really. But you can see the big difference is obviously the horsepower with the sports version is way more powerful at 576 horsepower. This used to be a supercar like just a decade ago, really. Yeah. All right, so we've been complaining a lot about GM's output in the EV space. Like they have all the vehicles lined up now and everything, but they just they don't seem to bring the volume just yet. Um, and we've been suspecting that GM's problem might be the dealership model might be part of the problem. And uh, we're seeing that happening with the Chevy Blazer EV right now. Uh, there's been a report uh, that, that's from our, our, our partners at CarDirects uh, that um, the uh, the new Chevy Blazer is being marked up at the dealership by as much as $10,000 over MSRP, uh, which for a $60,000 vehicle is... Uh, <laughs> Uh, is is pretty expensive of a markup. Obviously, it's the very early days of the Chevy Blazer EV, so they're trying to take advantage of that. But, I mean, this has happened like almost every time a new EV has launched a market in the last few years from legacy automakers. And we've seen most of them taking approaches to try to avoid that because it gives such a bad name to these 
to these EVs when they come out. They're like, all right, like I, I really want a Blazor EV, but I'm going to get screwed $10,000 off at the middleman that's in between the manufacturer and me. It's it just leaves a bad taste in people's mouth and like turns them away from those EVs and especially at the beginning of it. So um, most of the makers have announced efforts to quell that. Like they've been warnings the dealership they don't have any power on the final price that the dealership comes to but they've been like warning them that if we catch you doing that well maybe the next time that we allocate evs to you guys there's not going to be that many <laughs> and that creates this like vicious cycles of all right do you get dealership that they're marking up evs like crazy and then you have the issues of like dealership not having any inventories and then the two issues are like combined together so it create this mess um not a great look. Like I, I keep no. wanting to find like the positive of dealership, and there are some. There are some great dealers out there, but these seems to be so far and few in between all the shitty ones. Yeah. Uh, still with GM, we had another bad news this week. We had confirmation that the Silverado EV is going to be delayed by pretty much another year, all the way to late 2025. Uh, they say that has to do with uh, slowdown on the investment at the GM Orion plant. Or Orion? Orion Orion. Orion. Yeah, it's not all. It's not all Silverados. It's just the ones that are going to be built at that plant, which was mm -hmm. supposed to be a, a big share of them. So th that just means that Silverado EVs are just not going to be delivered uh, in big numbers for at least a year. The Orion yep. assembly plant is also where the bolt was made. And, and uh, Jamie did a post about, well, if you're not doing anything there, why not just start start up the bolt production again? Yeah, which we did more as a, you should do it than like us speculating that they will do it. But sometimes I, it works. I don't know. That. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes. And another pickup truck that is being seeing a big slowdown is the F-150. Uh, Ford announced this week that the F-150 Lightning uh, is losing a production shift. So they are cutting 700 jobs, which they say is not related to the uh, union strike. But uh, is that what they say? Did they actually give a reason for uh, supply chain issues as a reason behind the cuts? Okay. Did not say how long it will last. A lot of the times when they don't say that is because they are permanent. Um, Ford claimed to be working through processing and delivering vehicle health for quality checks after restarting production in August. So yeah, there's been there's been a, a, not a great year for the F one hundred and fifty Lightning. Obviously, there was the big recall and then production stop, and uh, volumes are not quite what they need to be. Some um, dealership were holding on to some inventory too, so there's a lot a lot of problem with it. Like I I'm not saying that is. The program is dead. I'm just saying that the program is nowhere near where Ford said it was going to be. And at this point, because it's it's still a very much a first generation uh, vehicle for Ford, and they already have been quite open about the next generation being a lot better because it's going to be uh, going to share fewer parts with the gasoline version. It's going to be more designed to be electric from the ground up and everything. Uh, that. It, the, the Lightning might be like a big of a dud, to be honest, as a as a overall vehicle program for Ford in terms of complete volume, first generation volume from the beginning to the end. Because this the new generation is coming in twenty twenty five, set I think, right? Yep, yep, pretty soon. So that is just like a, a year away at this point. So, like, if they delivered, like, I don't know how much they are at this year that we put it in the post, but I don't think it's that many. Uh, so. 
the year so 3500 um yeah so yeah they, 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 i don't think they, they broke like 10,000 units a quarter so far so it's not it's not a great look yeah especially compared to the gas version which is the big best selling car in the yeah. world and compared to what they said they would be at 150,000 a year too like yeah and that was the goal for the first generation and they're nowhere near that so yeah a bit of a dud uh, finally, before we get to you guys' questions in just a few minutes, uh, let's talk about Nissan Leaf EV qualifying for half a, a credit in the U.S. <laughs> so uh, almost we're almost a year into the, the, the program, um, and the Leaf didn't qualify for the new reform tax credit, and which was a bummer because Leaf, uh, along with Tesla, they were one of the first to lose it because they reached 200,000 units in the U.S. and not a lot have done that. Uh, they didn't gain it back because of the restriction on, on, on it. But this week they announced, hey, you know what? Uh, eligibility for part of the federal EV tax credit puts LEAF within reach of even more customers that are ready to make switch for the EV. It's getting a $3,750 uh, tax credit, making the, the, the base version. Um, is that the price with the credit? No, I think that's the price without the credit. It started at twenty nine thousand. Yeah. yeah, so like you can get a twenty five thousand dollar car here. Basically, uh, obviously, this is the forty kilowatt hour version, so you don't. It's not a lot of people buying EVs below two hundred miles these days, but there's still a market for it. If you uh, don't get out of the city too much and you want a smaller car, this is perfect for it and a lot cheaper. It's just it's not clear why they, they didn't say why they just figured that out now, or if they changed something with the car that makes it. Um, qualify it's really not clear but out of the blue we have it at least for a few months so i, I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the year uh it's not the case yeah i mean it's kind of a shame the nissan leaf uh batteries used to be made in tennessee yeah um but they sold off that part of the business i don't know nissan seems to be not making great decisions uh generally speaking uh the well, Aria is talk like, to them i'm gonna go see them next week <laughs> yeah please give them you're going to hq so yeah. Give them a, a stern talking to. Yeah. They do, I will need it. to get their act together. All right. Let's All right. The comment uh, section. Let's see. Uh, William D'Angelo from LinkedIn. Uh, do you feel that Elon sandbagged this quarter and lowered the bar purposely? Well, obviously, they didn't, not, not enough because uh, the, the Tesla actually missed expectation. If they would have probably uh, uh, properly sandbarred uh, the market they would have beat expectations. So. But I did, I did say that I didn't like the market expectation. Like from what Elon said last quarter, I would have lowered my expectation. I did personally lower my expectation lower than that. Uh, so Tesla would have basically met them. Uh, Wall Street was somehow a little bit more optimistic. Yep, and he's got a follow-up there. Um, have you heard any movement from people with orders in the queue to update their configurations. I'm assuming that he's talking about the Cybertruck. No, there's been no chatter on that. Uh, Sid and I have been talking about this, but we wouldn't be shocked if Tesla only delivers to employees by the end of the year, especially if they're literally just going to have December to deliver. It's going to be the event, November 30th, and then only December. So shocked if um, regular customer gets, gets cars in 2023. All right, Mike the Car Geek is wondering if Tesla can reach 125,000 late next year, it will hurt Ram. Their 1500 REV won't start until late 2024 at best. I, I don't know if it's going to hurt anyone at that point. I, I think 
it depends on the market. Obviously, if if there is some kind of a relaxing of the interest rates and all that, uh, I, I think the market is there's going to be like a resurgence of demand for for electric vehicles and trucks in particular. So um, I wouldn't be too worried about that. And Tesla itself is not too worried because obviously it has a lot of backed up demand for the Cybertruck. So they, they don't have to be too worried about that at first, but maybe at the end of the next year, it's different. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of questions remain on the Cybertruck. Question, why is Elon tampering t- tam- t- tampering expectations on Giga Mexico? What is holding Giga Mexico up? It can't be macro factors or interest rates. Well, you literally yeah. said that it was macro factors and interest rate. And Honestly, I don't see why we'd be lying about that. I, I, I think they were, when they announced it earlier this year, they thought that maybe they would see more signs of market recovery by the end of the year and um, and be willing to go full full steam ahead with Gigafactory Mexico. And then they didn't see any of those signs. Uh, and, and then they fell on plan B, which is let's just build a next gen in Texas first. I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't... I wouldn't see why Elon would be lying about that. It makes no sense. All right. Uh, Joe Donnelly's wondering what's going on with Nikola Motors. I think it's, and I think Nikola Motors is completely over. You look at um, you look at the stock price right now around $1 a share, and um, there's still a ton of dilution coming their way because of uh, the new convert, uh, convertible notes that have a quick timeline turnaround. Uh, and um, they are... Putting more shares like every week, basically, uh, it's not it's not a good look. And then you have you November second, I think, is their earnings, and it's going to be disastrous because from what we're seeing with the recall, they're recalling every truck that they ever delivered, and they are going to have to replace the battery pack on every one of those trucks. And then they're going to have to they, they have to pay for everyone to ship the trucks back to them because they're apparently not good to drive. Now they said in their latest release so they are paying for everyone to bring back their truck like that is bad by itself then there's the credibility look on it like nicola was not sitting on a very big reserve of credibility to start with and then you have that on top of it is like how how do you trust the company going forward is just the i I don't understand customers that that you know what like that the silver lining of this thing is is this there's still a bunch of customers backing Nikola. Why? Because they're super hungry for zero emission trucking, AV trucking, zero emission. They're still, they, they, they see the regulation coming on top of them. They see what's happening. They see they need to adapt to this new market and go zero emission on the heavy trucking. And they just don't have that much option. There's Volvo, there's Freightliner, with the Geese Cascadia, there's, there's, um, Tesla with a Tesla Semi, but the volume is not there. And then you had Nikola, which, eh, a lot of red flags, but they were producing them. They had 200 of them. Uh, so, like, you, you buy them where you can, and it looks like some customers now are, like, stuck and, like, all right, we, we took a risk, and now we're, we're screwed. But they're still, they're still keeping the company alive just barely, but I, don't, I just don't think they will last. I, I, think, I, I think the next earning is going to crash the stock. On top. If, if that doesn't do it, the convertible notes will do it. And, um, and and then 
the, the, the thing at this point is like, even though the company has some cash to, to survive, it's like you need some momentum at some point. You cannot just survive on like, hey, we have a little bit of cash and we can keep things going. At one point, people just, all the employees that rely on stock options, it's just they, they see those like going away super fast. They're like, all right, they don't get excited. You cannot, the, the turnover is crazy. I mean, they went to like four CEOs since their, their founder has went to jail. Uh, so it's- Wait, is, is he in jail? Well, not he's not in jail right now. I think he's waiting for sentencing, but he went to jail at some point. I think when when he was arrested, like he was at least booked. That's how it works. I think um, he was convicted of fraud. <laughs> I can say okay. that at least without being sued. Um, <laughs> and so, so I think at some, at some point they, they were like able to hire like people to lead that company because no one's gonna want this. So the, the interesting thing now is like, is there someone that's gonna pick this up when it's gonna be worth like? 10 cent a share is there some company that's gonna do it what i was thinking uh, earlier this week is like it might actually be interesting for a company like freightliner or any of the big truck makers just as a like oh this this company was supposed to disrupt us and uh, and and kill us and now we're buying it for 10 cent a share like it, it could be like a good a good story behind it for them uh but i don't know if anyone wants to touch that toxic crap yeah i'd go bankrupt first yeah. All right. Uh, Paul Tex asked if Micah is going to be on the live stream. Well, Micah was on the, the earlier live stream. Uh, for those wondering, he's he's doing okay there in Israel, even though it's kind of a, a bad time. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So he was he's uh, he's still with us here. Yeah. He, uh, that... In his last post, he discussed a little bit the situation. If you guys are curious about it, and uh, one of if you look at one of his last posts in the electric tech section. He, he shared a little feedback. So if you want to leave a comment on that or something, if you want to send him some positive thoughts and whatnot, you can do it there. All right. Uh, Zafad Beeble Brox, when FSD takes responsibility, do you think an occupant could jerk the wheel or hit the brake causing a he said, car said incident? I mean, technically, That's I assume log. yes. But uh, yeah, with, with all the logs, the data information, like if... Tesla has cut so many people, and he, he said, "Car said uh, <laughs> kind of incidents yeah. in the past with data." Admittedly, they haven't always been completely fair with that. There's been a few situations where Tesla is like, "Autopilot was not active." Yeah, it deactivated itself a fraction of a second before the crash. Like, there's there's been things like that. So I'm sure there's going to be situation out there at some point where in front of a court or in front of an arbitrator, like whatever it is, like if Tesla is forcing people to go through, that is going to be some of these arguments. But for the most part, I'm sure that uh, whenever Tesla is willing to take responsibility, there's going to be also a black box in there that's going to make sure that uh, if uh, someone tries to do something, they, they, they can call it, call them out for it. Uh, Justin Moore with a question we get every few shows. Uh, is now the time for Elon to start to think about stepping down as CEO of Tesla? He clearly seems distracted by X and SpaceX. And I just wonder if the pros no longer outweigh his baggage. Yeah, I mean, I've always been on the fence on that question, but I'm kind of getting off the fence and on the side of uh, hire, hire uh, an adult uh, a CEO. Because what I just discussed about Nikola, Tesla doesn't have that problem. Like, or X, like the problem that I mean, I'm sure X also, Elon wanted some kind of like puppets that was just going to do whatever they want. Cause he's obviously 
still wants the rain on this thing because it's in a $44 billion hole right now. Uh, so he doesn't, he, uh, he, he was fine with not being the official CEO, but yeah, I'm, sh I'm sure it's pretty clear that I think, I, I think in the book, it's it said that uh, he, um, he told, I forget the, the, the woman's name, or I don't know if he told her, but there was, there was something about him saying that I'm still like the, the guy behind doing like right. steering the company. Uh, Linda, yeah, but, you know. yeah, but with, um, with Tesla, like Tesla could attract like a very solid CEO. Like they, they would have their pick of the litter, like not easy role. I'm sure a lot of people are not like, doesn't want that pressure, but a lot of people want to like, it's a prestigious position. Like, uh, so they could hire someone that uh, knows what they're doing and, and, and could could uh, have an impact. And Elon has always said that it's not his goal to be CEO forever. He wants to be at one point just product architect. And uh, since then, he's been calling himself the techno king. So that has kind of uh, put some doubts in my mind about him, like still being true to that statement. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm thinking that just because like you, you, you saw that call this week, the call seemed like Elon was like disinterested about it. He seemed more concerned about things out of the company's control than things that are within the company's control. And, um, and is uh, yeah, he's skating around questions. I, I didn't like it. I didn't feel like he was being a good CEO and like pushing for his shareholders. I didn't feel any kind of uh, fight in him on that front, which we, we did feel before in the past. Yeah, I I, uh, I wonder if he could take on a different role, if that would make everybody happy. But I kind of feel like he owns ten percent of the company, so it, yeah. it's hard to see him taking a backseat to anybody. Yeah, uh, that's would the you thing. Rather... Like if you if you take that role, you probably know you also like you're not really the number one at Tesla. Yeah, right. Just just like uh, Twitter or X. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, would you rather have free FSD transfer or supercharger miles, assuming you can't get a ton of referrals like you guys? I mean, just I don't from think the values... referrals affect any of that now. Right. You know what uh, I was thinking, Seth, when, when he announced that today? I was thinking, yeah. you, know, you know what would be real nice if I can? Because I have a, a Model S that has free supercharging, and I have a Model 3 that I have FSD. Combine them. <laughs> Could I give them both back to Tesla, and they gave me a new Model S, where they transfer my free supercharging on it and my yeah. FSD on it. And then I pay like whatever, like the $10,000, $20,000 difference uh, and, and get like basically for $10,000, $20,000. And I give up two of my cars, but I get a brand new model S with free supercharging and free, well, not, not free, uh, like, transfer my free supercharging and my free, my FSD. That would be, that would be sweet. It, it's possible that they will do that. It's, there's every possibility. They might not even know that they're doing that, but it's possible that that would be possible. Yeah. I mean, right now I'm letting my my parents use my Model S, so like I don't want to take it away from them either. But if they could get their own car, which just doesn't seem to be happening either because of uh, allocation issues, but that could be an option. But I don't, I don't know. Like you're more optimistic than me that Tesla would go would go for that. I don't think they would. <laughs> I, I think they and, would go. And they for, would give me peanuts for my Model S too. My my Model S uh, signature. So you don't, you don't value that. I think you would get peanuts for it, but I think yeah. you have a possible chance of getting both, only because they would overlook the fact that you could do that, not because they would want they would want to give you that option. But I I, I think it's pretty rare, dude, that they would do like a trade in with two cars, though. I don't know if they. 
Do you have a process uh, for that? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, Christoph has kind of a very general question. Is the demand for EVs declining in the US? <laughs> I would say the demand for all cars is declining exactly. because of interest rates. Um, you know, I think just it's hard to get a new car now with uh, you're paying like double per month or something crazy. Yeah, funny story. Like uh, yesterday, CNBC reached out to me and they're like, "Hey, Fred, we want you on the on the show tonight to uh, discuss the, why electric vehicles are being overdone right now and uh, automakers are scaling back because uh, there's not enough demand for them." And I was like, "Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll go on the show." And then before we uh, booked you completely, they're like, "Can you just uh, give us your thoughts on that?" I'm like, uh, "Well, yeah, sure. I completely disagree that the uh, EVs are overdone. I think that I basically said what you just said, like that all the all the vehicles are being affected by the macroeconomics and especially the high interest rates right now. And obviously, EVs with the higher sticker price to start with, they are being more affected because the value of EV is more long term on the ownership with the gas savings and all that. Well, that doesn't change your monthly payment at the starts and with the sticker price and your down payments are higher. So it affects maybe EVs disproportionately from uh, gas, cheaper gasoline vehicles, but it doesn't mean that the demand is not there if the macroeconomics would be, would be there. And then they were like, all right, we'll go the other way. Yeah, you got to keep it quiet until you get on the show. Yeah. Then you'll never get invited back. Yeah. All right, Nick Cedar, uh, the T's Toyota E pickup is exactly what many people are waiting for, a long bed, short cab EV truck. Why won't? Uh, Ford and GM see this. So uh, you're talking about the one that they are testing right now in Australia. I think uh, there's no there's no plan to bring that to North America, unfortunately, for now. Yeah. We'll see. It would be nice, though. I'm gonna try to talk to people next week at the the Tokyo Mobility Show and from Toyota. See if uh, I can talk to someone that would be interesting. All right, David WS, Elon said that design and manufacturing would be easy for Cybertruck. Everything is lower cost and cheaper to make, but the retail price is high. I don't know if that's in context. I think they wanted to make it easier, but it yeah. kind of spiraled out of control there. And I, I think, like, to, to be clear, I, I think they are making it easier. It's just that there's also a few things that they had to do very differently, and those few things might create bottlenecks in the production of a Cybertruck. So once they work through those bottlenecks, yes, the Cybertruck could be an easier truck to manufacture at the end uh, of everything and possibly even be cheaper, possibly. Uh, we just, Elon is just telling everyone, like, wait for it. Like, don't, it's going to be a while before we figure this out. All right. Uh, Follow up question Tesla should make a steel and painted version of the Cybertruck. Well, it so sounds like it's stainless, steel, just stainless steel and, and wrap version, not a painted one. It sounds like this is where things are going. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, James Corine says, question, if Herbert Deese was still at VW, would Volkswagen have adopted Nax connector already? They, he'd probably be first. He'd be ahead of Ford. No. I mean, they still have a yeah. lot of I, I don't. I don't think it matters because I think they, they will anyway. Like they're, they're not going to be the only ones <laughs> in North America not to have Nax, not to have access to the supercharger. I think I don't think they're dumb enough for that. I would hope they're also, not dumb enough for that. In a few in, in a few years, they would be the only one with CCS. So yeah, I don't know, like I don't, yeah. yeah, maybe. The, okay. I guess James is more precisely asking would that happen sooner possibly but i don't think it changes anything 
Uh, is Cybertruck's eminent release suppressing old-timey manufacturers' electric truck demand? Oh, that's Possibly, a but if you can get, if you need a truck and you're willing to go electric for your truck, and you have access to one in dealers right now, uh, you're better off getting one of those than a Cybertruck. Because Cybertruck is a wild card right now. When you're gonna get it? Uh, like we said, we think employees only this year. And then with that slow ramp up, that's going to take 18 months to get to 5,000 units a week. And you know, unconfirmed that is over 1 million reservation for it. And there's tallies that say that it's up to 2 million now. So it's between 1 and 2 million at this point. Good luck. Good luck getting one. All right. Uh, Elon seems to have changed. I agree. <laughs> Uh, Stu says U.S. EV sales are up 50% this year compared to yeah. last. All right. There's the numbers there. Uh, you could use that on CNBC. Just <laughs> we're up 50%. Uh, Dan Oberstay has the resale value of my 2013 Model S gone up since there might be someone who wants unlimited supercharging might want to buy mine to trade in. I mean, that's kind of what we discussed a little bit. Yeah. Um, the unlimited supercharging miles might be good for somebody who's just going to go to the supercharger over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, what's that company in uh, LA that goes to Vegas? Well, they're they're done now, but it was Tesloop. That's, That's the one yeah. I bought my Mall X from. Yeah. yeah, for them, for them, it worth it's worth like ten thousand dollars a year, whatever. Right. Yeah. All right. Maybe I'm exaggerating, but whatever. not that much. All right, Nick Cedar with the last question so far is VW must be dragging their feet on NACs because of EA agreements. That is possible. Not, not really because EA can, can and has adopted the NACs too. They said they, they will take NACs. So. Yeah, I guess. I mean, but they might have some agreement with EA that they're yeah. only going to be whatever. I don't and know. Any, any of those... Uh, charging station operators can have NACs and CCS too, and they should have both at least for a period of time. A couple of years, uh, yeah. Yeah, so at least not... until the adapters are ubiquitous. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Until the adapters are everywhere, then yeah, have both. But yeah, it makes it makes no sense. Anyway, uh, appreciate every single one of you listening this week. That's it for the Electric Podcast episode. Whatever we've been doing this for a few years now. We're we're in the hundreds at least. I would say like yeah, maybe two hundreds, maybe three hundreds. All right. Um, uh, if you do enjoy the show, please give us a like, a thumbs up, subscribe for the next episode. The next episode, uh, we're going to have to figure this out exactly what time it's going to be next week. Are you still traveling for next Friday? I'll be back. You'll be back. But I'll be in Tokyo, 12-hour difference. It's going to be a little bit the tougher one, but we're going to try to figure a good time to make the show uh, closer to there. I'm going to be at the Tokyo Mobility Show next week. So if you guys see me there, uh, give us a high five, whatever, say hi. And uh, we, we're gonna we're gonna let you know when the next one's gonna happen. Have a good week. Stay safe out there. Bye bye.